If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. That's where we're going to be picking it up this morning. Um, I know you're in your house, and I know it's it's weird. I mean, I, we're we're over two months into this, and it's still so weird to be sitting in the living room and calling this worship. I wish that you could be here right now. I mean, I genuinely wish that you were here with us right now in this place. And prayerfully and hopefully, we're not too far away from that. Um, you're going to enjoy being back together with us, and we're going to enjoy having you here in the room. So if you're willing and able, I just ask you to stand with me where you are. Again, I know it's weird in your living room. Put the dog down, take off the blanket, whatever you're curled up with, and just stand up, and let's stand together. Um, this is just our demonstration that we are actively engaging together in God's Word. This is who we are as, God, as God's people. We're creatures of the word. This is Genesis 18, and I'm starting there in verse, in verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you with that one request. We just sang it a second ago. That you would speak what's true into our lives. Over all the noise, over all the distractions, over all the temptations, over all the sin that we still hold on to. Lord, that you would speak what is true. I pray that you would do that through your word to us today. I pray that you would speak in spite of the weakness of your servant. <laughs> speak boldly and loudly in spite of the frailty and weakness that I bring to the table. That you'd work in spite of me. Don't let my stammering tongue stand in the way of what you would say to us today. Lord, would you speak that we might hear you? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you stood, you can be seated. Um, over the last couple of months, we've been, able, we've been able to see in a very real way how Abraham has grown, okay? How he has grown, how he has moved, how he's grown in both, both through time and experience, how he's grown in his faith and his trust for the Lord. We saw that it began, right, just like with every single one of us. It began with a small step of faith out of what was familiar, out of what was normal and consistent in his life, and into, so it's not just a step, but it's a step into something, a step into faith out of all that was familiar and into the journey with God. And we should be reminded that God didn't give him 
a map. Like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't answer every question for Abraham when he called him. And so this was a big step. Like, it's easy for us to think, well, of course, Abraham would do that. He's father Abraham, but he's also just a man. And so when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and into this journey with him, it was a step of faith. Abraham was called to follow after God and to trust in God in real and tangible ways. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't convenient for him. And so it wasn't easy, but it was an act of faith. And then we saw that faith, that true, genuine faith. We saw it in struggle. We saw it uh, through the real life and conflict, through, through real fear, through real doubt and uncertainty. We've seen him struggle to understand it all, to put the pieces of his life together in any way that would make sense to him. And what we've hopefully come to see, I, I, this has been my prayer all week, what we've hopefully come to see is that our lives really aren't that different from his. It's that in spite of all the cultural, in spite of all the technological, in spite of all the what we would just call maybe human advancement that we have around us, the hearts of people really haven't changed really since the foundation of the earth. And so it's not all that difficult for us to put ourselves back into the book of Genesis, into the life of Abraham. And what we see from him in this passage is going to serve to illustrate for us the reality, this reality even more, as we look at these twin pillars of the character of God, what we call righteousness and justice. And it's interesting as we get into it, right? Because God seems to know that Abraham is, is going to struggle here. Did you see that? God, God questions whether or not to share what he's about to do. That right there in verse 17, he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? So you see, God knows Abraham. He knows his story. He knows the direction that he's heading, and he knows his heart. He understands the struggle because he knows our hearts. He knows our hesitations. He knows how the programming of experience in this world has conditioned us in ways that we don't always recognize. And so God knows that when it comes to his people, when it comes to those who dwell on all the earth, righteousness and justice are things that we do truly desire. Like that's built into the fabric of our DNA. We do desire righteousness and justice. We just don't want them for ourselves. But it's not meant to be that way. And God spells that out for us here in verse 19. Look at that. He says, for I have chosen him. All right, so, okay, God did that, right? God says, I have chosen him. I have sovereignly chosen him by, by God's sovereign choice. Abram didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. God just looked at him and said, this one is mine. By, he says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Now, don't, don't miss that, okay? Don't miss what God just said there. 
He didn't choose Abraham just to, just to recognize righteousness and justice. He didn't choose Abraham to understand righteousness and justice or even to teach on righteousness and justice or, or to celebrate righteousness and justice. He chose Abraham to command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by what? By doing righteousness and justice. And why? Well, it's right there. It says, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Okay, so we need to be really clear on, on what comes first. It's all laid out there for us in, in verse 19. That's a ver- in fact, that's a, that's a verse, I don't say this a whole lot, but that's a verse you might want to circle or underline or do whatever you do in your Bible because first comes God's choice, right? God chooses first and then comes man's responsibility. God didn't declare righteousness and justice for Abraham and then wait to see if he would figure it out. He didn't say, hey, listen, here's the standard. You live up to it, and then I'll see if I can make room for you in the camp. That's not the way it happens. God chose Abraham, and then God commissioned Abraham. That's the order. And here God, God's demonstrating for us. Here's what's coming next. He's going to demonstrate for us righteousness and justice. Look at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you, this is him talking to God. I'm going to pause there. It says, God, this is Abraham talking to God. He drew near to him and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I... Find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city. I will spare the whole place. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak, to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. He answered, this is what God said, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Okay, so what we see here, starting at verse 22, is what we would call an intercession. And it just, it just means to intervene on behalf of someone else. That's what an intercession is, is to go between two parties. And so Abraham here is interceding. He's standing between, going between God and Sodom. He's standing between the two. And Sodom is a historically evil town, right? I mean, we know this. Sodom is a historically evil town. In fact, there are terrible things that even today get their name from Sodom. They have a reputation of wickedness. That's what they are known for. And Abraham knows this, right? Abraham knows their reputation. It's why he asks in verse 23 if God will sweep away the righteous with the who? With the wicked. 
And he appeals, all right? The appeals that Abraham makes show just how wicked he thinks or he knows this place to be. He's like, what if, I mean, I just love this scene. He's like, what if there are 50 people? Come on, God, God what if there are 50 righteous people there? And we might think that 50 is a lot of people, but it's really not. Okay, it's basically like, this is how this works out. 50 people is basically like two kindergarten classes worth of people. And for some perspective, like just in South Carolina, okay, in South Carolina, the average number of students just in an elementary school is somewhere around 550 students. So that means that 50 of that would be around 9% of the population of a school. And Abraham is talking about a whole city. Now, we don't know, we don't know the population of Sodom. It's not recorded for us, but it's big enough to be called a city. And it was big enough to have a king. And it was big enough to go and make war with other cities and other nations. And so Abram's not setting the bar real high there with that 50 people. And, and, and really, he's pretty timid in this whole thing, too. We see he gradually reduces the number. Did you notice that? What if there are 45? What if, what if there are 40 you know, and then he starts to worry about whether, the God, whether God is going to get sort of annoyed with him or he's getting tired of listening to him. Hey, he said, how about 30? What about 20? What, what if there are 10? 10 righteous people within the city and God promises. What, you saw it. What did God promise to do? He says, there are 10 people. I will not destroy it on account of those 10. But there's an inherent problem with Abraham's entire line of thinking. It's something that he is still learning, and it's something that God is trying to teach him, and he's trying to teach us in this moment. It's the hard truth. I, I want to, this is not easy to say, but it is true. That there is none righteous. That there is none righteous. No, not one. And this is the testimony of the world around us. It's the testimony of the scripture before us. We saw it back in Genesis 6, 5. If you remember that, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, and listen to this, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's the testimony of Psalm 14 where we read that the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. He's looking down from heaven. Does anyone understand? Are there any who seek after God? And then uh, Psalm 14.3 says, They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not, not even one, Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So listen, Abraham's coming to God in this scene and he's bartering with God. He's trying to exchange with God a figment of his imagination. He's not working with something real but something imagined, something hoped for. Because there aren't 20 righteous, and there aren't 10 righteous. There aren't five righteous. There isn't anyone righteous in Sodom or anywhere else. And so what's he doing here? Well, just like so many of us, 
in the face of impending justice, in the face of justice and righteousness, of God saying, I am going to fix this. In the face of justice, what's Abraham doing? He's pleading for grace. He's standing before God with absolutely nothing to offer, just completely empty-handed. And in his desperation, really, and really at this point, it's just to save his nephew, right? He's pleading with God for grace. You see, this is a portrait of our lives being painted before us. Like Abraham, like Abraham, we have nothing to offer God apart from his sovereign grace. The, the prophet Isaiah would confess this, uh, this very reality in his life when he said, we have all become like one who is unclean. This is what, this is what Isaiah said. We've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. They're like filthy rags. And if you've got a study Bible, you can read in that and make yourself sick if you want to. This is what, this is what Isaiah is saying, right? That we have all, all of our righteous deeds, even our best that we have to give to God, even the best actions of ours apart from Him, are polluted garments. That's what we're wearing when you and I, that's what you and I come to stand, come to stand in the presence of the king. This is what sin looks like. It's what we are covered in. That's what Isaiah was confessing. We're like the, we're like the little baby. All, all the parents in the room can, can share their horror stories with their kids after the service. They're like, we're like the little baby in the crib who wakes up screaming in the middle of the night because we've made a mess all oh over ourselves. That's what Isaiah is saying. This is who we are, that we're completely helpless to do anything about it. And if you're a parent, you know, right? You know that whenever a baby tries to help in that situation, whenever they try to fix it on their own, it just makes it worse. That's the comparison, is that in our filth, okay, in our mess, this is how we stand before a perfect, holy, righteous, and just God. Offering Him, offering Him nothing but the dirt on our hands. This is what Abraham has to offer God in Genesis 18. And he seems to recognize it. Like he doesn't ask God to spare the people of Sodom on their account. He doesn't go, look, they're really awesome, you should save them. He doesn't, he doesn't plead his own righteousness. He doesn't, he doesn't offer to put himself in their place. He, Abraham doesn't go, listen, God, take me instead. Spare them. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't plead his own righteousness because at a core level, at a soul level, he knows his own heart. He knows his own pollution. He knows how he has failed to trust. He knows how he has failed to follow. He knows how the temptations and doubt and disbelief have crept into his heart. And so he pleads for grace and mercy, knowing that he has nothing to offer. And this should create a stirring in us for grace in our lives. As we find ourselves in Genesis 18, we know that we're not the Lord. 
at best were like Abraham, empty-handed, dependent on God's grace. It's all that we can plead from God. The only leg that we have to stand on is the righteousness, is the righteousness of another. And this is where we find Jesus in Genesis 18. This is where we find the promise of God's grace. Listen, God isn't going to find 10 righteous in the city. God isn't going to find one righteous in your house. He knows that. God knows that. Abraham knows that. He's aware. And so the only hope for any of us, the only hope for any of us is that a righteous one can be found to take our place. And since there was none to be found here, since there was none righteous, God sent His own Son. That's what Galatians 4, 4 says, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might see, receive adoption as sons. There was none righteous here. So God sent the righteous one. And for our sake, what did he do? For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's that Jesus took our robe of filth. He took our polluted garment upon himself and and offers us his robe of righteousness in return. He takes the justice that we deserve by offering his righteousness in our place. And since there was none, God sent him. It's the most profoundly one-sided exchange in the history of all exchanges. The righteous one takes the sin of the righteous many. That is the grace of God. It's that we're given It's what we're given in Him by faith. That's the new life. And that's what you are offered today, even here in Genesis 18. This is the offer that's for you today in Jesus. It's not a new set of clothes. It's a new life. And listen, I know some of you, I know some of you doubt that. I know that. I I know that tension that exists in your heart. I feel that. Attention, you've got, you've got a story, man. You've got, you've got baggage in your past. If people knew you, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. Well, here's the good news for you is that God knows you. That God looks on you and sees you in that sin, knows you, and still sent the righteous one for you. Or maybe you're like Abraham. You still want to believe that you are good enough that you are capable enough. Maybe you really can do righteousness and justice on your own. And all this just sounds, all this really just sounds too good to be true. I know that too. God knows that. But the beauty of the gospel, the glory of the gospel of God is that in Christ, the impossible exchange is made possible. It's the miracle of salvation. And so, you know what? Now we don't have to try and barter with God. We don't have to say, look at how good my week was. Now you can give me some good stuff. That's not how it works. 
Now in Christ, all we have to do is receive and rest upon him alone for our eternal life, for our salvation, as he is freely offered in the gospel. That is good news for me today. Good news for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us a goodness that we don't deserve. That you give us life. That you give us hope. That you give us peace. Lord, I thank you that you save, that you would save even a wretch like me. I pray that you would be with us as we go from here today. Help us to walk in the light of that promise. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We close out our service today. I wanted to share, this is kind of a long benediction. It's not that long, but it's a little long. It comes from Isaiah chapter 55. And as the church begins to to think about regathering, as we begin to think about coming together, as we begin to think about what the church looks like on the other side of COVID-19, as we begin to consider all those things, I want you to hear this promise for you. In fact, I want you to reach out and receive this benediction from the Lord from Isaiah chapter 55 says for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is what you're wrapped up in, in Christ. You are part of that everlasting sign that shall not be cut off.